I just love worshiping with you guys. It is amazing to be in a room full of people who are just singing praises to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn to the book of Acts. The book of Acts, chapter 1. It's in the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible, we have some people that will bring one to you. If you'll just lift your hand up. We'd love for you to have a copy of God's Word for this morning's service. And then if you don't own a copy of God's Word, we're going to ask you to take that one home as our gift to you. We love giving away copies of God's Word, and we would love for you to have that in your possession uh, this morning. Uh, We are in the middle, or at the end, I'm sorry, of our 40 days of purpose. And so I'm excited. I've, I've heard stories of people who said, you know, Pastor, I haven't done much of anything but mess up for 40 days in a row. And I'm really trying to get my life on track. And so it's been exciting to hear stories like that or stories of how people are spiritually growing in their walk with the Lord. And they've taken these 40 days to emphasize that in their own life. And as we come to the end of that, I hope that's been a blessing to you. If you missed out on that, I think we may still have a few copies of the book that, uh, no, we don't. But if you want one, then see Jason and we'll get you one. I thought we had a few copies. I guess you got them all, but uh, we'll, we'll take care of that because we love for you to be growing in your relationship with the Lord, and uh, we would love for you to continue that. Even if you missed the, the study, it's a great uh, devotional for you to be a part of, and Jason, who's down here on the front, will take care of you. He didn't know that until about 45 seconds ago, but uh, we, we would love for that. I don't know about you guys, but I vote for Daylight Savings Time's fall version every Sunday. How about you? How about just an extra hour every weekend? I mean, if we're going to vote on something on Tuesday, would that not be worth voting on? I mean, I don't know how that would end up in the calendar mess. I don't understand all that. But an extra hour every weekend would really help me. Um, uh, That was free. All right. Uh, This morning, uh, we're going to be talking about missions because we believe that part of your purpose in your life is to find out what God wants you to do more than just uh, in a spiritual walk, more than just uh, finding your spiritual gifts, more than just discovering who you are in relationship to him. Then he wants you to take it to the streets. And so this morning, uh, your purpose, we, we want you to understand that your purpose is to follow Jesus wherever he leads you you to go. Now, I want you to know that this is a very, very dangerous thing to say to God, that God, I will do whatever you want me to do, and I will, I will go wherever you want me to go. And I'm going to share you, with you this morning my story of what God did in my life. But I want you to understand that God never intended for you to take uh, the information to pack it into your heart, to pack it into your mind, and to leave it there. The information that God gives you in his word is life-transforming, and he wants you to do something with it. We call that missional living. It means not being satisfied with the status quo, not trying to be like all the other Christians. You are trying to be like Jesus. In fact, if you're trying to follow me, if you're trying to follow the leadership of Connection Church, please don't. Because if you followed us for a while, you would realize, man, they need grace as much as I do, okay? What we want you to do is be in a relationship with Jesus Christ and to become more and more like him. So this morning, I want you to just repeat after me. The gospel, okay, poke your neighbor and and wake them up, okay? Say this with me. The gospel gospel 
is for the whole world. Not just my world. Here's where, we, here's where we get off track. We begin to think that Jesus is this white guy from Nebraska who came for the world, and he's an American, and the gospel is just for America. And here's what I want you to know. It's not just for spearfish. The gospel is not just for South Dakota. It's not just for America. It is for the entire world. And I hate to burst your bubble, but Jesus wasn't even white, Okay. Jesus is from the Middle East. He didn't even look like you. For most of you that I can see from here, the lights are really bright, okay? But we get in this Americanized culture, and we begin to think that the gospel is for the people that I know, but I want you to know the gospel is for the whole world. Jesus died for the whole world, for people who would never deserve it. The gospel is not just for me. It is for the whole world world. I want you to take your Bible because this morning I want to share with you a a sermon that literally, literally changed my life. Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. This is a passage of scripture that I would bet that many of you have read uh, multiple times, but I just want to point some things out to you this morning. In in Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, it says this, In the first book, O Theopolis, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, and after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them after 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, Jesus said these words in red in my Bible, you heard from me for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now I just want to pause for just a moment and kind of give you a little bit of background. The author of this book is Luke and Luke was a, a, a doctor. Luke was a, a follower of Jesus, but he, he was a doctor and he, he was very meticulous. And so there's this rich guy, Theopolis, who we don't know if he was a believer or not, but for some reason, he hired Luke to write down the accounts of Jesus. And so he wrote the gospel uh, account in Mar- Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke wrote that. And then he wrote the book of Acts, the account of what happened after Jesus was crucified in the beginning of the new church. And so this guy, Theopolis, for whatever reason, put together two of the most important books that we find in the New Testament because they take up almost 30% of the New Testament that you hold in your hand. And so Luke has written this detailed account about what Jesus did, his life, his ministry, the miracles, and then the beginning of the church. And you got to understand also that when we jump into Acts chapter 1, that there is this picture of where, where the disciples and the followers of Jesus are. They have watched Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the one who was supposed to save the whole world, be nailed to a cross for the sins of the whole world. They, the disciples fully didn't comprehend everything that was going on. They just know that the guy that they followed around for three years now has been beaten and stripped naked and nailed to a cross. They threw him in a grave and their emotions just went through the floor. They didn't know what to do. They didn't know what was going to happen. And then on the third day, we know Jesus didn't stay in the grave. What did he do? He rose, and so it was like they went to the bottom, and then they went to the very top. Acts chapter 1, Jesus shows back up. Only God that I know that rose from the dead, okay, who, who Jesus came back, shows up and says, hey, we're not done. In fact, we're just now beginning. 
You thought the three years was the beginning, but now here's where the, the gas pedal gets pressed to the floor. And so that's the emotional roller coaster that these guys have been on. And Jesus comes to them and he says, listen, don't leave town because I promised you that there would be a Holy Spirit come that would be your guide and would uh, allow you to know what my will is for your life. And so they've been on this up and down, and now Jesus says, now the work's about to begin, but I'm not leaving you on your own. I'm going to give you a, a Holy Spirit to give you guidance. Now, there's very it's very interesting what he says, because there's some theology in here in just these first few verses. If you look with me in verse 5, it says that John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, there's some multiple interpretations, but I want to take you back to the original language. Because what Jesus meant by being baptized was that he wanted them to be fully immersed in what the Holy Spirit's presence would do in their life. Now, we uh, believe that if you were a follower of Jesus Christ, that, the, that when you ask Jesus into your heart, the next step that you take in your spiritual journey is being uh, baptized in water. Now, we do not uh, sprinkle, we don't uh, splash, we don't, you know, we, we dunk you, okay, all the way under because that's what Jesus did. If you read the gospel account, Jesus didn't get sprinkled on top of his head, he got dunked fully in the water. And so, dunked is a term that I guess I grew up with. I don't know if it's in the Bible, but anyway, baptized by immersion, okay? And so that same word, that same picture is what Jesus used when he said the Holy Spirit will come and you will be baptized because when you are baptized, you're all in, okay? You can't just like baptize. I just, listen, pastor, I just want to baptize my arm, okay? The rest of me, I'll give to Jesus when I'm, I'm, I'm ready, when you're baptized, it's the whole deal. You either get in or you don't get in at all. When I was pastoring back in Texas, uh, we had a portable baptistry just like we do uh, that we use here. It's a fiberglass tub. Uh, it's really it's a fancy cow trough is really what it is, a uh, water trough. But anyway, that's what we use. And we use the same thing there. And this young boy in our church uh, accepted Christ and uh, he was going to be baptized. And my normal Sunday morning uh, uh, routine would be on the days we be baptized. I would go and check the water and make sure that it's warm. I would make sure that there's enough water in it. That Sunday when we were going to baptize this young man, I kind of got caught up in some other business and missed out until uh, I stepped up to baptize this young man. He's getting into the tank and I realized that there is not enough water. Okay. Now you need to understand theologically that I cannot, I cannot sprinkle this boy. Okay, it's not, it's not in the Bible. I don't find that. I find immersion. And so I'm freaking out in my head and trying to smile with my face. Have you ever been in that kind of a situation? Okay, on the inside, it's all going crazy. On the outside, I'm just, hey, everything's great. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And so this little boy gets in, and my hope was that he weighed enough that when he got in that the water would rise enough. Uh-uh, it didn't. So I let, you know, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I lay him down. And he's looking up at me, <laughs> smiling, of all things. So I did the only thing that I knew how to do. I splashed him with the water. You know, I got him all wet, okay? So when he came out, nobody, I thought nobody would know that, you know, I had to use a little side water to get him fully immersed. He was fully immersed, just a wave got the rest of him, all right? Well, what I didn't realize is in the process of my mind of all this happening, 
that it took longer than normal to baptize this young man. And so after church, one of the leaders in the church pulls me aside and he said, listen, what did that young man do to you? I said, what are you talking about? He said, did you hold him under? And then I realized, you know, it probably took a little bit longer than I thought it did. And I said, yeah, and if your son does not act right, I'm going to do the same thing. No, I didn't really say that. But anyway, so baptism means that you're all in. So verse 5 says that when the Holy Spirit comes, you get all of him. So there's some theology that floats around in different denominations that says that the Holy Spirit comes and goes in your life. If you're a good person, the Holy Spirit comes. If you're a bad person, the Holy Spirit leaves. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that when you come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, you get all of the Holy Spirit that you're going to get. He stays within your heart. He's your guide and he never leaves. Now, whether you let him have control over your life, that's a lordship issue. If you listen to the Holy Spirit, that's a lordship issue. But the Holy Spirit does not come and go. It's not some spiritual juju magic thing that you do. It's when you come to know Christ, when you ask Jesus into your heart, you get all of the Holy Spirit that you're going to get. Whether you listen to him or not, it's kind of like whether you listen to your spouse or your girlfriend or your parents or not. Okay, It's the same kind of thing. Look at verse 6. In verse 6, Jesus continues. So the story continues. And so they, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times nor the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Now, this is a very interesting statement because there's a lot of confusion going on with the disciples. You know, some of them had different priorities. We talked about that last week, that they wanted to be important in the kingdom of God, that they wanted uh, to have a level of authority. They also were confused about who Jesus was. They were confused about the fact that they they thought Jesus was going to be uh, a ruler, a, a military ruler that would come in and he would take over the world. And they thought, okay, he didn't do that earlier. He was born in a barn, not in the in the castle, not in the, in the king's palace. So maybe Jesus, now that he's been crucified, he rose again, now he's going to be the ruler. And so they asked this question, Jesus, now is, is now the time that you're going to take over the world and you're going to be the king of the world? And Jesus uses a very interesting phrase. He says, and I'm going to paraphrase this, he says, boys, that information is way above your pay grade. Have you ever been in an environment where that was said to you, where you came into a work environment or some kind of informational environment and somebody said, you know what, that information is way above your pay grade. How does that make you feel? About this tall. Okay, I'm not important. I'm just a scrub. I'm just, Jesus wasn't trying to put them down, but what he was trying to say is, listen, when the kingdom of God comes, we all will know. When, when, when God is going to come and he's going to restore the kingdom, when he's going to take over the world and the devil's going to be completely abolished, when all that happens, you will know. And the Bible says that God the Father didn't even tell Jesus his son when that was going to happen. He essentially said, that's way out of our pay grade. I don't know. You don't know. In fact, if somebody tells you, hey, Jesus is coming back in 2013 on January 22nd, you can just write on their forehead, crazy, because they don't know. If Jesus doesn't know, why would they tell some loco guy in the middle of nowhere? Okay? So Jesus said, listen, it's way above your pay grade. When God's going to take over, we will all know because when it happens, it will be unmistakably God. 
because that's how he does things. But he, he, he didn't really want, he wasn't trying to like kick them while they were down, but he said, listen, you, the, the, the time when, when, when that's supposed to happen, you will know. When you're supposed to know that God is coming, there'll be no mistake. But then he says, I want you to know what is important for you. Look at verse 8. He says, he says, verse 7, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus said, listen, there's some things that are out of your league. There's information that you can't know, but here's what you can know. Right now, the Holy Spirit, he's, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, and you're going to receive two very important things. Number one is power. Would you say power? And the second thing is authority. Would you say authority? Jesus said, listen, what's going to happen is you're going to receive power, you're going to receive authority, and you're going to be my witnesses. Now, these are two very important words, power and witnesses. Jesus said, I told you the wrong word. Say witnesses. Now we're caught up. Okay, sorry. I kind of caught up in the moment, right? Power is the word for that we get our English word dynamite. Dunamos is the Greek word, and, and that's where we get our word dynamite. The word for witness is called martus, and it's like being a legal witness on the stand. So Jesus said, listen, there, you, you can't know the time nor the day, but here's what you can know. You're about to receive the power from heaven, and you're going to be my witnesses in all the world. Now, this word power is very interesting because what Jesus says is that I'm going to give you access to something that you can never get on your own. I'm going to give you access to something that is literally life-changing. Yesterday, uh, my, my brother-in-law's in town, and uh, so we took him to, to Mount Rushmore to see the mountain. I've been like 695 times, but it's still an amazing thing. I still love to hear the story. I liked it better the first time, but anyway, 698 times is awesome. But the, the most impressive thing to me about Mount Rushmore whether you know this or not, is the majority of the rock that was removed from the face of that mountain was done with dynamite. Now, I grew up in an environment where dynamite was not used to um, be gingerly removing anything, okay? I, I grew up in the South, and when I saw dynamite removed, it usually had too much alcohol, testosterone, and they were trying to remove a stump or something with way too much dynamite. And so when they, when they used it, it was not careful. It was to see how high we could blow something up, and so it was not a positive environment, and I wouldn't recommend it. I did see some fishing going on. I was not involved in that because that's illegal, but... I saw it. Anyway, that, that was my experience with dynamite. So when I saw what they did with Mount Rushmore, it's an amazing thing because there, there's an incredible work of art that they, 90% of it was done with dynamite. It's amazing. You see, what Jesus says is that kind of power that cannot be contained is what's going to come into your life and God's going to use it to literally change the landscape of your life. Do you remember what I said? Missional living is not just sitting down and being uh, uh, satisfied with the status quo. It is letting God change the landscape of your heart so that you can be used for his glory. When I, when I grew up, uh, my mom is a wonderful cook. 
And uh, one of my favorite things that my mom used to, uh, used to uh, make was yeast rolls. And I, I've shared this story before, but it just fits here. And, and uh, she, she, she would make these yeast rolls from scratch. And I don't know where she learned them, her grandmother or her mother or something. Anyway, uh, we were having uh, people over to our house for a meal. And it must have been a large group. I don't even remember who came over. All I remember is the incident, okay? And it was an incident. Because my mom was making these yeast rolls, and she was putting them in every environment that she could get them. There was a bowl full of them. And, and if you know anything about yeast rolls, they have to rise. And so uh, she was putting them in this bowl, and she was putting them in this jar, and she was putting them in the pickle jar, and she put the yeast in the pickle jar, and she put the lid on the pickle jar. Yeah, if you're a baker, you know what's about to happen. Uh, when you put yeast that needs to rise in a container, then with put a lid on it, then it becomes very volatile. Uh, so the next morning she wakes up and all the yeast is risen and she's over there cranking on this pickle jar and she can't get it off. And then my dad walks in and of course we're, you know, if you're a guy, you know, when your wife says open this thing, you know, it's like a challenge. You know, I'm not calling anybody. I'm going to, so he's over there. He says, son, go in. And he had these huge vice grips. I mean, like monster. I don't know where he had them for probably to remove the lids of pickle jars, but Anyway, so I, I'm holding the jar, and, or my mom's holding the jar, and, and dad's holding the, the pliers, and it, it was not really, it, it was good afterwards, but at the moment, somebody could have gotten killed, really, because they're, they're cranking on this lid, and then the biscuit bomb went off in the kitchen. I mean, it's just like, I mean, it exploded, it's on the cabinets, it's on the ceiling, it's on my mom, my dad, and you know, my dad's a pastor, but there's a look on his face that didn't have anything to do with Jesus. I mean, he just had this look that he wanted to say something, but he knew that God had redeemed his heart and he could not say that out loud. But he sure thought it. And uh, he looked at my mom and he said, don't ever do this again. And then he just walked out of the house because I, I think there probably was a confrontation later that as a child I didn't see or understand. But anyway, but, but when, when you put power and you try to contain it, it cannot be contained. And here, here's the problem with most Christians. We try to put Jesus in a nice little, uh, nice little uh, pretty vase or a little, a little bottle that fits our world. And Jesus goes, you can't contain me in there. The power that is within me that Jesus said in verse 8 that I'm going to give to you cannot be contained because what's going to happen is that eventually it will overflow out of your life. In fact, if you're a Christian, here's what I want to encourage you. Don't try to put the lid on your life. Leave the lid off and let Jesus flow out. Because when that begins to happen, then Jesus will spill out everywhere you go. Whether it's at work, whether it's in your neighborhood, whether it's in your friendships, whether it's in your environment. Jesus is not meant to be contained. He is meant to flow out of you. Then he says the second thing, that you're supposed to be my witnesses. He says this, you cannot help but speak of my name. That's what this means. He says, I'm going to put into you power, and that power cannot be contained. And the message of the gospel that has transformed tra trans, uh, your life is not going to be able to be contained, and it's going to spill out of you, and you will be my witnesses, and you will be making a difference. You see, the problem with most of us is that we're more excited to tell that piece of gossip about what happened to somebody else bad than we are to share the greatest thing that's ever happened to your heart, that Jesus has saved you, and you're not going to hell anymore anymore. You're now going to heaven. You now have a peace that passes the world's understanding. We don't tell that nearly as much as we tell that piece of juicy gossip that we can't wait to get next to our friend and share. 
You see, God never intended for it to be that way. The exciting thing that you should share is what Jesus has done for you. And then he says, look at at the second half of verse 8. He says, that power will come on you and that you will be my witnesses. And then he says, the message will spread. Now, he's got these guys who are primed and ready. (laughs) He says, listen, you can't know when God's going to come back, but here's what you can know. You're going to receive power. You will be my witnesses, and it will spread from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria. What did you say, Jesus? Samaria. Now, if you know anything about history you know that Samaria was the other side of the tracks, okay? Jerusalem was their hometown. Judea was their region. And Samaria is where those people live. And here's, here, here's where it hits home for me and for you. You see, we think that Jesus is just for us. And we don't take, want to take the gospel to Samaria. Now, what is Samaria, Pastor? You know what? It may be different for you than it is for me. It's those people who you think don't deserve the gospel. And you might not ever say that. You might not ever say, you know what? Those people deserve to go to hell. But with your actions and the way that you do not share the gospel, you are saying those people don't deserve what I got. Well, I hate to burst your bubble, but you don't deserve what you got. Anybody awake? You see, the, the, the grace that you have received, you, you didn't earn it. You could never earn it. You didn't deserve it. You're not good enough to have it. Neither am I. God given his grace to us because he loves us. And when Jesus said, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, in the minds of the disciples, they're thinking, mm, those people don't deserve the Jesus that I, I know. They don't deserve the gospel that I've received. And Jesus, he didn't stumble. He said, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You know where that leaves out? Nowhere. That means that the gospel is for us, and it's for everybody else. It's for the whole world. And for for most of us, this is the mission sermon that we have heard, okay? And we say, go tell the world about Jesus. There have been people who have been inspired by verse 8. God's called their heart, and if that's you this morning, and God is calling you to go wherever it is, whether it's across town, across the nation, across the world, then you ought to go. But here's what I want to share with you as my story in closing this morning. You see, because... This passage uh, changed my life. I was minding my own business, pastoring a church in Texas. I was uh, being obedient in my mind. I was doing what I thought God wanted me to do. I, we, we were leading our church to take mission trips, just like we took to Boston. We were coming to South Dakota. We were, doing, we were helping plant a church in Brookings, and we were uh, doing some work at the, uh, at the bike rally during Sturgis Week, sharing Christ. And I, in my own personal study time, was in my office as a pastor, and I was praying for God to send pastors to South Dakota to plant churches so that more people could find Jesus. And in that, in that time... Jesus said to my heart, I was reading this passage, and Jesus said to my heart, Doug, I want you to go to South Dakota and plant a church. And I said, now hold on, Jesus. Everything's good in my life. No, no, not everything's perfect, but we're in a good church. My kids are in a good school. We have a house that we love. My wife is happy, and if mama's happy, then what? everybody's happy. And you know, if you're married, you want to keep that going. That's a good vibe to keep going. I got a good wife, but you want to keep her happy. It just makes everybody else happy. All right. So uh, th- that was all going on. And, 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 and I was like, God, I, I really don't want to go. 
I want you to send somebody else because surely somebody younger who doesn't know any better will go to South Dakota and plant a church and, and you don't need me. I'm almost 40 and, and God, why would you call me? And for several days I struggled in this calling and God said, he kept saying, Doug, I want you to go to South Dakota and I want you to start a church. Doug, I want you to go to South Dakota. And I finally said, okay, God, if you want me to go to South Dakota and, and start a church, then I want to be the spiritual leader of my home and I'm going to make a statement that if you want me to go, that I'm too scared to tell my wife, you have to tell her. <laughs> because here's what I knew. I, I, a little bit different phrase, but here's what I knew. I'm a pretty good salesman, and I could sell my wife on the fact that we needed to move to South Dakota and plant a church. But I wanted her to feel the calling of her heart to go and start a church in South Dakota. And so for about two or three weeks, I didn't say anything. I just kept praying, and I said, God, if you want us to go, you've got to call Dana. If you want us to go, you've got to call Dana. And so I didn't say anything. We have the kind of marriage where we share stuff. We don't keep secrets from one another. And it was really hard for me. And so we, we were on a trip together. Uh, we were actually transferring some uh, supplies. There had been when Haiti got hit several years ago with all the earthquakes and stuff, we were sending supplies to Haiti. And they needed a box truck driven from Pampa, Texas, where I was living, to Dallas. And so being the romantic that I am, I said, honey, would you like to be in a box truck with me for six hours? And if you have kids, you know what she said. <laughs> yeah. And so we, uh, we took off and we're driving in this truck between Pampa and, and Dallas. And I said, uh, she, she, we were talking about life and ministry. And Dana said, you know what? I think God is calling us to do something we've never done before. And I said, man, <laughs> you don't even know what you just said. And I shared with her what I felt like God was calling us to do, to move to South Dakota. And in that box truck between Pampa and Dallas, we called our friends in South Dakota, and they said, listen, Spearfish is a place that we want to plant a church that will not only make a difference in that city, but will make a difference in a region. And God called our heart in that moment. But I'll tell you how he did it. I want to share with you the last two verses as we close this morning. Look, look not at the end of verse 8, but look in verse 9. Because this is where God caught my heart. And when Jesus had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, and as he went, behold, two men stood beside them in white robes. And they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you, as you saw him go into heaven. In my little study in my office, God rocked my world because what he said was this, how can you stay here when I've called you to go there? Here's what I realized. Just like these guys, they had been in the presence of Jesus. Not only had they spent years with him, but now they had seen the, seen the, seen the risen Christ he had given them power. He had told them, you're going to be my witnesses. He had, he had told them, hey, I, I'm, not going, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to walk with you. You're going to have the Holy Spirit to guide you. And then he went up in like this Star Trek thing where he's taken up into the heavens and they're standing there and, and they have what I call kind of a Gomer Pyle moment. Shazam, what happened to Jesus? He just went up into the cloud. I don't, I don't. And they're standing there and they're in amazement. And you and I would have done the same thing. But as they were standing there, two guys showed up two angels showed up and they said, listen, why are you standing here when Jesus has just given you the life-changing message to go there? 
and it rocked my world because here's what I realized. That I could spend the rest of my life in that little church in Texas and everybody else would think that my heart was right. But I knew that it wasn't. I knew that God had called me not to stay there, but to come here. God had, God, and, and, and this is what God said to me. Listen, they'll forget you there. I need you here. Does this mean that as Connection Church, we've got the corner on the gospel and nobody else in town knows about Jesus? No, it does not. There are churches in this town who are sharing Jesus, and I want you to pray for them with me as we pray that God will reach every lost person in this town. Okay, We, we need everybody doing all the work they can until everybody in Spearfish knows Jesus. But here's what I want you to hear. God needed this church to be planted in this town so that we can make a difference for the kingdom of God. And so Dana and I, we prayed. And, and we said, you know what, God, we don't know why Spearfish, we don't know why South Dakota, but if that's where you'd call us to go, then wherever you lead, we will follow. I want you to know this. It's been the best decision I've ever made in my life from a career standpoint. Not because I'm making more money, because I don't. Not because I have greater prestige, because I don't. But because this is exactly where God wanted me. He prepared my heart to be here. He prepared my life to be here. And I believe he's using this church that God called me to plant for his glory and his honor. Listen, here's what missions means. God may be saying to your heart, you need to go across the street to your neighbor who needs Jesus, to that person across the cubicle, two cubicles down, who needs Jesus, that family member who lives across the country who you've become estranged from who needs Jesus. Maybe God is calling you to literally give up, change your life, quit. I don't know what God's going to call you to do, but here's what I know. Do not stand gazing up into the heavens in the amazement of who Jesus is and miss the fact that God has called you to go. If Jesus has called you to go somewhere, listen, you will be miserable if you stay. You can make all the money in the world and everybody else could think that your life is perfect, but if you're not where God's called you to be, then you will never have peace in your heart. Uh, my family thinks that I have moved to Antarctica, okay? They think we like all kill a bear and wear its fur in the winter, okay? We know that's not true. But I'll tell you this. I love this city. I love this region. And I love what Jesus is doing through this church because he's making a difference, not because of me. Because, listen, my prayer has been since day one, God, would you keep this bigger than we could ever take credit for so that we never let our pride get in the way? And I'll tell you, he has done that very thing. God, we, we constantly stand in amazement of what God is doing. Listen, don't miss out on what God wants to do in your life today. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you that your word is living and active. Father, I know that in, in, in this room that you are working on the hearts of people. Lord, there are some people who have been a Christian for a long time, who, who know more about your word than anybody else in this room, Lord, but they are not being obedient to you because you have called them to go and to do, and Lord, they're not being obedient. I know that, Father, because I struggle with that. And Lord, I pray today, Lord, if you are calling someone to change the trajectory of their life, to change their career, to change their, their, uh, the way that they live. God, I pray that you give them courage. 
Because, Lord, we can know everything about you. And if we're not willing to live a missional life, then we miss our purpose. And so, Father, I pray today, whether it's young or old, Lord, there may be some college students, some teenagers in this room, some young adults, some families that you're, that you're calling to say, listen, I want you to give a six months or a year or five years of your life to spread the gospel in Jerusalem, in Judea, or Samaria, or around the world. God, if you're calling someone today, would you give them courage not to hold it inside, not to, not to uh, uh, put it off? Because, Lord, I would bet in this room that there are adults who, are, who have lived a long time who said, you know what, I missed the chance that Jesus gave me, and I've regretted it ever since. Lord, it's never too late for us to give our heart to you, to be submissive to your will. And so, Father, I pray that if there's someone in this room who's 16 or 76, if they need to give your, their heart to you and say, God, whatever you call me to do, I will be obedient. Lord, I pray that you give them courage today. Lord, the whole reason why we're here is not to try to bring glory to ourselves, but to bring glory to you and to share with people the message of the gospel. And I pray this morning, if there's someone in this room who's never asked Jesus into their heart to be their Lord and Savior, that this day, right now, right where they are, that they would be willing to pray this prayer silently in their seat. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for never giving up on me. I confess to you all of my sins. I ask you to come into my heart to be my Lord and Savior. I ask that you would help me to be the man or the woman or the teenager or the young adult that you've called me to be. Lord, that I would follow you with all of my life. Lord, if they prayed that prayer, God, I pray that you give them courage not to keep it inside, but to be bold and to share that information with someone today. Lord, we just thank you that you have a plan, that you're never caught off guard. And Lord, even when you call us to make big steps of faith, Lord, you are there walking with us. So Father, would you give us the courage not to be fearful and stand at the back of the room, but to be men and women, teenagers, young adults, children who follow after you wherever you lead. We will go. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.